0: Good morning, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to share with you from that uh, passage that Egal read for us before. I won't be doing it in Hebrew. You'll be uh, very sad to hear. I'll try English, I think, instead. But if you can have your Bible open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18, we're going to read it again in English, I promise. And we will think about what it means and how it applies to us. Let's ask God for his help. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word pray now that you help us to understand what this passage says and that you will encourage us to not lose heart but to be bold we pray in jesus name amen i vividly remember the evening i was 28 years old i was standing at the train station in redfern on my way home from a long day at bible college I'd uh, spent the entire day studying. In fact, I'd been studying Hebrew that day, trying to look at those little letters. And I looked up at the sign to see when the train was coming. And to my shock, it was blurry. I blinked and shook my head and looked again, still blurry. As the days passed, I noticed that everything in the distance had become blurry. It was especially difficult trying to drive a car at night, I, Funny, I couldn't read the street signs anymore. And eventually, after many months of persistent encouragement from my wife, I, I went to an optometrist. And to my horror, I received the diagnosis. I had become short-sighted. The optometrist said it was from too much study, too much looking at books close up. I'd ruin my ability to see clearly into the distance. I had to get glasses to help me see things far away and particularly for driving at night. I'd become short-sighted. Over these last few weeks in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he's been talking about how it is that he can be so bold in talking to people about jesus how he can keep encouraging the corinthians to turn away from sin and live their lives for jesus he's been telling us how it is that even though his ministry causes suffering he doesn't lose heart and he doesn't say it's because it's easy sharing the gospel telling people about jesus it's not easy now paul says some people love it when he shares the gospel. But some people hate it. If you jump back, you don't need to jump back with me to chapter 2 because we're going to see it up on the screen here. Chapter 2 and verse 15, you can see it. The Apostle Paul writes, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. Paul's ministry is divisive. Uh, We've used the illustration of a durian. His ministry is like like a durian, the smell of a durian. Some people love it, but the vast majority of people hate it. But Paul perseveres. And why? We've seen a number of reasons. Four weeks ago, we saw a first reason. It's in chapter 3 and verse 5, which we're also going to see there. Chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes, Not that we're competent in ourselves, to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant paul's confidence is not in himself it's in god and the new covenant message the message about jesus then three weeks ago we saw a second reason why paul doesn't lose heart why he's so confident why he's bold in calling people to live for jesus he says it's because the ministry of the new covenant is so glorious it brings life instead of death it brings pardon instead of condemnation Through the gospel of Jesus, the veil is taken away and those who trust in Jesus can stand in the presence of God forever. The message about Jesus is so glorious, so mind-blowingly magnificent that, that Paul, he can't keep it to himself. The message is so glorious and Paul is captivated by this glory. He's gripped by this glory. That is why he is bold. And Then two weeks ago, we saw a third reason. Why doesn't Paul lose heart? Why does he keep going even when it means suffering? Because he knows it's not up to him. He himself can't convince anybody to become a Christian. Paul cannot do it. That is a miracle that only God can do. But God can do it. As people hear the true message about Jesus, God can shine his light into their blind hearts so they see how glorious Jesus is, so they put their trust in him. It happened to Paul, he's seen it happen to other people, he's confident that God can do it and so he doesn't try to change the message, doesn't try to trick people into trusting Jesus, doesn't try to preach himself and make everyone think how good he is. No, no, Paul faithfully serves God and people by just telling the message of Jesus like it is, as faithfully and as clearly and as accurately as he can, and he lets God worry about the results. Now, Over these last few weeks, we've been trying to remember all these things by using some actions. And everyone loves this, I know. I'm getting no complaints whatsoever about these actions. Everybody loves it. So I wonder if anyone can remember... Anyone remember, I should be like a durian for Jesus because, can you remember the first one? It's about God's message, not me. And because I'm, second one, gripped by the glory of the gospel. And third one, because God is the one who shines the light. Excellent. So good to see all these joyful faces doing these wonderful, very grown-up actions. Well, now in our passage today, we see another reason why Paul perseveres in boldly talking about Jesus. And in this section of of, of his letter, what he does is he he makes a series of contrasting images. Contrasting images. The contrast is between the image, all images that express the suffering and trouble that comes with sharing the message about Jesus. Now, contrasted with the eternal glory that the message brings. So, it's a series of contrasting images. The suffering contrasted with the benefits. And the first image, first image Paul uses is treasure in a jar of clay. Now, a treasure, of course, is very valuable. It's very precious. It's, it's, it's beautiful and desirable and expensive. But a, a clay jar is not valuable. A clay jar is disposable. It's not worth anything. It, it's not beautiful. It's not desirable. And it may seem strange to keep a precious treasure in an, in an old clay jar. But here on earth, the Apostle Paul says, that's what it's like when you tell people the message about Jesus. When you talk to people about Jesus, you have an incredibly precious treasure. You're telling people about the glory of God found in Jesus. You're telling people about how they can be rescued from their sin and and spend eternal life in, in, in the presence of God. It is beautiful, it is desirable, it is valuable. But here on earth, it's like it's wrapped up in a jar of clay. That is, we share the message in a context of weakness and of suffering. We ourselves are weak, weak, sinful. And it's not like the world looks on us and thinks, wow, aren't these Christians telling me about Jesus so beautiful and glorious? No, no, no. Christians who share the message aren't considered to be precious or valuable in this world. People who share the gospel boldly and bravely are despised in this world. They're made to suffer. That's weird, isn't it? It, it? It's weird that this precious treasure is in a jar of clay. But that is God's way. And Paul gives the reason, the reason why God does it this way, sharing the precious treasure through the jars of clay, is because he's the one who shines the light. And the fact that the treasure of the gospel comes in jars of clay, it shows that it's God's work. It's not the impressiveness of the clay, it's not the impressiveness of the people who share the gospel that convinces anyone to put their trust in Jesus. It is God who powerfully reveals the treasure and saves people. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, have a look with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. But we have this treasure, that is the treasure of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us and then Paul goes on to talk about what it looked like to be a jar of clay sharing the treasure of the gospel. it means suffering now. it means being perplexed now you don't know what to do it means you're persecuted and attacked now but the fact that, that he has treasure in this jar of clay, in this broken jar it means that he presses on. he doesn't despair he keeps on telling the truth about Jesus anyway verse eight we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I don't mind cooking. Um, I have For children who are hungry, and over the years, I've done a fair bit of cooking for my family, but my cooking, I have to admit, is very limited. I have about a dozen very, very simple dishes, and I pretty much stick with those dishes. But another kind of cooking that I often do for my family is this. I will heat up leftovers of something that my wife, Carmelina, has cooked. Now, Carmelina is a real cook, a proper cook. She cooks complex and delicious things. And so sometimes I will present a complex and delicious dinner to our children. And I might try to present it as my own making. Look at what I've cooked for you. But they're never fooled. Straight away they know the truth. This is not dad's work. Dad could not possibly have cooked this complicated, delicious thing. This is definitely mum's work. Mum cooked this, dad just heated it up. It's a bit similar when people become Christians. As we present the gospel in all our weakness and sin, as we present the gospel with all our fear and embarrassment, as we present the gospel with all our ignorance and inability to convince anyone, as we present this treasure in jars of clay, and then as it does its amazing work... As it miraculously turns people's whole lives around, as it miraculously transforms people, what well, becomes perfectly clear that wasn't our doing. That was God's work. That was God did that, not us. And so all the glory goes where it deserves. Not to us, but to God. Treasure in jars of clay. Do you see the image? And do you see why God does it that way? Well, that's the first image. Paul now moves to a second image. It's the image, it's a bit of a strange one. It's the image of having the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus all in you, carrying around both the death of Jesus and the the life of Jesus. Paul says, telling the truth of Jesus now, it's a bit like having the death of Jesus happening in your body. As you tell the message, people hate you like they hated Jesus. They might even kill you like they killed Jesus. It's like you're carrying around the death of Jesus all the time. But this same message of Jesus that, that, you, that, you, that you share with people, it brings life. It brings eternal life. It brings life to us as we believe it and as we proclaim it, and it brings life to other people as they put their faith in Jesus. And so Paul uses this image. He says, it's like I'm carrying the death of Jesus around so that I and you, Corinthians, can experience the life of Jesus. He is suffering so that people can be saved. That's how it was for Paul. He carried around the death of Jesus so that he and the Corinthians could have the life of Jesus. Verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed, in, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. And so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So two contrasts, two contrasts so far. Precious treasure in a jar of clay. And then both the life and death of Jesus in us. You see, both contrasting uh, the, 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 the present truth that sharing the gospel about Jesus means suffering with the future truth that it's, it's, there's eternal life. There's eternal life in the message. Both images pointing to the same reality. And Paul goes on to say that sharing the gospel therefore requires faith. You have to believe that God is going to raise from the dead those who trust in Jesus. You have to believe there is eternal benefit in sharing the gospel. You have to believe God's promises, otherwise you will lose heart. If you just think about the suffering, if you just think about the embarrassment, there's no way you'll keep talking about Jesus. You have to believe God's promises for the future. Verse 13, it is written, now he's quoting from the Old Testament, I believe, therefore I've spoken. He's not just looking at the suffering now. He's believing God's promises for the future. And then now in three more quick images, uh, Paul again contrasts the short-term suffering of talking about Jesus with the eternal benefit. Uh, Three quick contrasts. The first contrast is the outward appearance, the surface appearance compared to the inward reality. Uh, When you share the gospel, the, the, the outward appearance now is terrible. It looks like a... Weak, sinful, blundering, hopeless person trying to blurt the message, embarrassed of Jesus while everyone hates them. It looks, looks terrible on the surface. looks like suffering, dying, doesn't look impressive. But the inward reality is completely different. The inward reality is that God is transforming us from one glory to another. We saw a couple of weeks ago. The inner reality is God is gloriously saving and transforming his people. Still in verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, on the surface, what it might look like, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Our next contrast, very direct one. The the, the trouble now that you might experience of sharing the gospel, it's light and momentary compared with the eternal glory that uh, that the gospel brings. The the, the glory that is coming will make any suffering now seem inconsequential. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so Paul says, uh, using one final contrast, what he does, he fixes his eyes into the distance. He fixes his eyes to the eternal, invisible reality of The resurrection that is coming, our future joy of being raised with Jesus, sharing in glory with him. He shifts his focus away from what he can see now. He's not short-sighted. There you go, now you see the relevance of that introduction. He's not short-sighted. He doesn't focus on the suffering that the gospel will bring. No, no, he focuses his attention on the future. Verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen now, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. All right, can you see what's here then in this section of two Corinthians? It's a bit tricky. Lots of lots of kind of images running around everywhere, but can can you see it's all one big idea, and it's pretty spectacular. This is very precious, isn't it? Paul is talking about what it is like to be a bold Christian to be someone who talks about Jesus, someone who keeps faithfully calling people to turn away from sin and live for Jesus. And what's it like? It's like having treasure in a jar of clay. It's like carrying both the death and the life of Jesus around with you all day. It, it, it's, it means believing God's promises about the future resurrection. It's like on the surface, everything's falling apart, but underneath God's transforming you. It's like eternal glory outweighing momentary suffering. And it means looking forward to the invisible future, eternal future, rather than the visible temporary pain. Lots of images, but just one big idea, isn't it? Sharing the gospel will mean suffering. It will mean discomfort, but it is eternally worth it. And so Paul looks beyond the suffering, focuses on the future glory, and that's why he doesn't lose heart. Okay, well, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. How can this passage help us to be bold? How can it help us to to not lose heart, to not be silent? Well, I told you before how I became short-sighted. Too much study, too much time focusing on stuff close up. Uh, I I lost my ability to see into the distance. I was short-sighted from the age of 28 right up until my mid-40s. Uh, but then at the age of around about 45, I experienced what I, what I thought was a miracle. <laughs> my eyesight righted itself. I could once again see clearly into the distance. I threw away my driving glasses. I pronounced myself healed. <laughs> but it didn't stay like that for long. Pretty soon, I found out that I could see fine out into the distance but reading was becoming more difficult, especially when the light wasn't so good. Now, naturally, I assumed that this was some conspiracy among publishers to shrink the writing on all books. Uh, And for a couple of years, I I played trombone with everything as, as I tried to read. But eventually, after months of persistent encouragement from my wife, I went to an optometrist. And I received the devastating news, I have presbyopia. I'm a Presbyterian with presbyopia, uh, an old man with old eyes. I was short-sighted, but now I'm long-sighted. Now I'm far-sighted. And so once again, I had to get glasses, this time for reading rather than driving. Uh, somebody asked the question this morning, why am I not wearing glasses now? You, should, you can probably read the writing on this from where you are. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm not that excited about my physical far sightedness. Uh, but friends, the Apostle Paul is telling us here that we would do, we would do well to be spiritually far sighted. What would help us to be bold, what would help us to not lose heart is to be far sighted Christians. Do, do, you get, do you get what I mean? As we think about sharing the gospel, stop focusing on the short term. Implications, the rejection, the embarrassment, the discomfort. Stop focusing on the short-term implications. Instead, focus into the distance. Focus on the long-term implications. The one who raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise you from the dead and present you with the people that you shared the gospel with before God, pure and holy and in glory. We look forward to an eternal glory that infinitely outweighs any short-term discomfort that sharing the gospel might bring and those those people who who dislike it today who don't want to be don't want you to share the gospel today well if God chooses to work a miracle in their hearts and grants them faith in Jesus on the last day and forever they will say thank you not just to God but to you so friends here's an experiment to try Here's an experiment to try. Imagine the next time you're in a conversation. It could be today. You know you should turn the conversation to Jesus. The opportunity's right there in front of you. But you think, yeah, too uncomfortable. You think, I can't face it. They won't be interested in it anyway. You, you, you lose heart. Here's, here's just a, a thought experiment to try in a situation like that. Let's see if it works. Think to yourself, how will I look back on this conversation in a hundred years? When I'm in heaven, how will I look back on this conversation in a hundred years? Will I look back and think, I was brave for Jesus, I was faithful for Jesus, and whatever the result of the conversation was? I'm now enjoying a, a glory that far outweighs those light and momentary troubles I was so worried about back then. And if the conversation goes well and that person becomes a Christian, well, you can be sitting with them in 100 years' time, delighting in the eternal glory that far outweighs any momentary discomfort. See what I'm doing? It's just a thought, thought experiment. But you see what I'm doing? I'm trying to be far-sighted trying to see the conversation in the light of the long-term future, the the future that God has promised us. Do you notice what Egal said uh, before when he read the Bible for us about how encouraged he was by this passage? I'm going to talk more about Egal in a couple of weeks. That guy faces really significant persecution. He gets stuff thrown at him when he's out on the street. Uh, He's told he's a Jewish guy, but he's told that he's worse than the Nazis. Uh, The rabbis say of him, uh, Hitler just took our bodies you're trying to take our souls the guy guy is hated how does he keep going why does he keep pressing on because he's far-sighted or you think about John Luca the guy's devastated by the death of his wife he just wants to cool up in a ball and you, did you hear all the stuff he's doing Amazing, looking after his church, serving people with the message about Jesus, studying, planting a new church, training leaders, welcoming newcomers. How does he do that? Through his grief. He does it by looking ahead. To, that, to the day when he will see both Jesus and Nella again. He does it by being far-sighted. Friends, I'm sure this can help us too. It can help us be bold and not lose heart. We need to be far-sighted Christians. We had some significant debate in our Bible study about what action to use for this particular one. Some people were suggesting far-sighted that way. I just think that might get confused with the one coming in a couple of weeks about being ambassadors. So here's my suggestion: we should be far-sighted. We should be far-sighted. You get, you get what that is? That's binoculars. Yeah. Okay. We should be far. You want, you want to try it with me? And it's going to be, I should be like a durian for Jesus because I'm farsighted. Okay, you ready? I should be like a durian for Jesus because I'm farsighted. All right, let's see if we can pull it together. This is exciting, isn't it? This is like one of those Korean dramas that goes on for week after week after week. <laughs> all right. And nobody's complaining about this, I know. All right, let's see if we can put it all together. You ready? Okay. I should be like a durian for Jesus because it's about God's message, not me, because I'm gripped by the glory of the gospel, because God is the one who shines the light, and because I'm far-sighted. You know, you might have memorized pretty much 2 Corinthians chapters 2 to 6 by the time we get through this. All right, I'm going to give you a chance to teach it to each other. Turn to the person next to you, give you one minute, see if you can help each other to remember all these reasons to be bold. Let's come back together. We'll close in prayer. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the glorious gospel. Thank you for the extraordinary eternal future that you've promised to us, that you're going to raise us up with Jesus and present us before yourself pure and holy. Heavenly Father, that is amazingly gracious. Will you please, uh, in light of this eternal future, strengthen us, empower us to be bold. Lord, we pray that you would take our lives and use us for your glory, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.